Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Hello and welcome to Curious Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Tyenda Nage was a Mohawk war chief, British soldier, tireless advocate, and accomplished diplomat who straddled two very different worlds that were colliding in the latter half of the 18th century. He witnessed the rapid expansion of Imperial Britain and then the violent birth of the United States of America, all the while attempting to lead his people through the geopolitical complexities of that time. He would become one of the most famous indigenous persons in the British Empire, and his name was both respected and feared from New York State to the Great Lakes, all the way over the Atlantic to Paris and London. This is Season 8 Episode 20, Tyendanage, a.k.a. Joseph Brandt, the Warrior Diplomat. Today's book recommendation is titled Joseph Brandt, A Man of Two Worlds, and this was written by Isabel Thompson Kelsey. It was published in 1984 by Syracuse University Press. Tayenda Nage, meaning two sticks bound together for strength, was born in 1743 to Protestant Mohawk parents somewhere in the Ohio Territory along the Cuyahoga River, probably near modern-day Akron, Ohio. Sometime before Tayenda Nage turned 10, his father passed away, and he and his sister Molly who herself would become a respected diplomat, and their mother, who was purported to be the granddaughter of the famous Mohawk chief Teyanagan, or King Hendrick, moved to modern-day New York State, settling in the Mohawk town of Kanajahari along the Mohawk River. This town, in fact, still exists today, part of Montgomery County in New York, with approximately 3,500 residents. His mother remarried to a Mohawk sachem, a tribal leader of one of the Mohawk clans. It turned out that Tayendanage's new stepfather, whose last name was Brandt, hence Joseph Brandt, 
was a good friend of the British Superintendent of Indian Affairs, William Johnson. Now, Johnson, who became the common law partner of Mali, would go on to play a crucial role in the life of Tayendanage. Now, the year 1754 was pivotal for all of those living in North America because two clashes occurred between the French and the British. One of those was at Fort Beausjour in modern-day New Brunswick, and the other was at a place called Humanville Glen in modern-day Pennsylvania. These two clashes would trigger what would become an all-out global war for empire between the French and British, a war that would later be dubbed the Seven Years' War, or in North America, the French-Indian War. Although Tayendanage was only a teenager, he participated in several British campaigns against the French. It's important to note here that both the French and the British relied on indigenous allies to augment their forces. The British had a long-standing relationship with the Mohawk as part of the Six Nations Confederacy, while the French included quite a few different indigenous groups, including Algonquin, Wendat, and others. What's interesting about Tayendanage is that he was present at some of the major battles of the war in North America. He fought alongside the British at the failed attack on Fort Carignan in July of 1758. This was one of the biggest and bloodiest battles of the entire war and saw General James Abercrombie launch a series of assaults against well-entrenched French defenses before finally withdrawing. Some of our listeners may be more familiar with Fort Carrion's later name of Fort Ticonderoga. Tayendanage was at the Battle of Fort Niagara in July of 1759. This was a rather interesting battle, as there were Haudenosaunee warriors, so Iroquois-speaking peoples that included the Mohawk, on both sides of the battle lines. As well, Tayendanage's mentor, William Johnson, took command of the attack when the British commander was killed. The French surrendered the fort in late July, and this opened the way up for a British invasion of western New France. Over a year later, Tayendanage was present at the attack and capture of Montreal in September 1760, a capture which effectively secured British control over New France. As a result of his service during the war, Tayendanage was awarded the Silver Medal. He was one of 182 First Nation warriors to receive such a distinction for their service in the conflict. It was clear in the aftermath of the Seven Years' War that he was not only a staunch ally of the British, but had become a well-respected soldier and warrior by those he had served with and served under. And while he could certainly converse in English, it was after the war where Tayendanage attended school in Connecticut, paid for by William Johnson, where he became educated along the lines of a classic English gentleman, learning to write, speak, and read English at a highly academic level, while also becoming well-versed in a variety of academic subjects. His success at school led to him getting admitted to King's College in New York, and he was on the verge of going when a rebellion led by Chief Pontiac broke out in 1763. 
Pontiac's rebellion was the result of frustration with British rule in the Great Lakes region, as well as British policy towards the various First Nation tribes that lived there. Pontiac had successfully united several disaffected tribes, and soon conflict erupted. William Johnson and others expressed concern that Tyendinage would be subject to racial violence were he, as an indigenous man, to go and attend King's College, Thus, his post-secondary plans were cancelled. Instead, Tayendanage returned home and in fact participated in a raid against warriors fighting for Pontiac. It was clear by the mid-1760s that Tayendanage held a special place in the 18th century world of British North America. He had strong relationships in both the British and indigenous worlds, along with a reputation as a decorated soldier and accomplished warrior. He was respected by the Mohawk and the British alike, and thus it was no surprise that he would find himself with plenty of opportunities to bridge the gap between the two worlds in a professional manner. In 1766, he was given the job as interpreter for the British Indian Department, and by 1772, he was named primary spokesman for the Mohawk in their dealings with the British. This also accompanied his elevation to war chief amongst the Mohawk. During this time, he taught Christianity to the Mohawk and even translated various Christian literature into the Iroquois language. His role as war chief would be tested soon when in 1775, war broke out between the British and American colonists over the political future of the 13 colonies of the British Atlantic seaboard. Tyendinage maintained his allegiance to the British and was given the rank of captain and placed in charge of a company of Mohawk warriors. They then traveled to Quebec and set up their base of operations in Montreal, the very city he helped capture years before. Shortly after his move to Montreal, Tyendinage traveled to London, where he was personally received by King George III and spent this trip campaigning for greater support for the British war effort amongst British high society. He returned back to North America in late 1776 and then began a PR campaign amongst the Six Nations Confederacy, attempting to garner wider support amongst his linguistic and cultural cousins for the British war effort. It's important to understand that the Six Nations was a loosely confederated political entity, of Iroquois-speaking peoples, and not a centralized political confederacy like we might understand in the modern sense. Thus, when he wrapped up his campaign in the summer of 1777, Tayendanage had successfully convinced four of the six nations to declare on behalf of the British. Curious Canadian history. We'll be back after the break. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. 
Folks, I know that sometimes advertisements can get in the way of a good story. And here at CCH, we never want a good story's momentum broken up. But we rely on advertisement for the financial support needed to continue to make this show. That being said, there is a way to access CCH episodes advertisement-free. If you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Curious Canadian History, you can access all our episodes ad-free by donating just one or two bucks to the podcast. It's easy, safe, and a great way to get this content without the ads, the story not broken up. Patreon even has an app, so you can simply use the app on your phone like you would be using any of your podcast apps and have every new CCH episode right there at your fingertips. Check out patreon.com slash History today and join the club. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Now, by this point, we're talking 1777, Tayenda had amassed a small war party that comprised both white loyalist volunteers and a number of Mohawk warriors. This company came to be known as Brant's Volunteers. He led Brant's Volunteers in a brutal frontier war up and down New York State, primarily in what is today the Mohawk Valley. This frontier war was violent, and it was typified by small-scale battles, constant raiding of settlements, and a guerrilla warfare campaign conducted against American regular troops. It was a messy piece of business. Atrocities were committed on both sides, and pro-American communities began to call Tayendanage Monster Brandt, a sort of boogeyman of the frontier, due to the violent nature of his war. In fact, he has been historically associated with two significant massacres. One in July 1778 called the Wyoming Valley Massacre, and one in November of 1778 known as the Cherry Valley Massacre. Now, the nature of his involvement is debated amongst historians to this day. Some accounts state that Tayendanage was the most restrained of his volunteers, Yet others have claimed that he clearly led the way in terms of violence against non-combatants. It is clear that by the late 1770s, war in the Mohawk Valley had degenerated into a cycle of tit-for-tat, Brant's volunteers attacking one settlement and American troops attacking loyalist settlements, all the while the non-combatants bore the brunt of this cycle of violence. Brant's volunteers certainly caught the ire of General George Washington. Washington wrote to George Clinton, who was the governor of New York at the time, that, and I quote, to defend an extensive frontier against the incursion of Indians under Butler and Brant is next to impossible. Washington also wrote to one of his generals, stating, it is in the highest degree distressing to have our frontier so continually harassed by this collection of banditti under Brant and Butler. In fact, George Washington eventually offered a reward for Tayendanage's capture. It is clear that his campaign in the Mohawk Valley brought him wealth through both his salary with the British government, but also through plunder. In the spring of 1779, Tayendanage returned to Quebec, where he purchased a farm. Yet his time away from the front was short-lived, as he was ordered back into the fight and by July 1779, he was battling Americans at the Battle of Minisink in the northern Delaware Valley, where he played a crucial role 
in helping to defeat them. Tayendanage did not always win, though. In August of 1779, he led his volunteers to intercept an American column known as the Sullivan Expedition. This expedition, led by General John Sullivan, hence the name, was dispatched specifically to march against the loyalist tribes of the Six Nations. When the two forces met in battle, Tayendanage and his volunteers were defeated. They retreated across the Niagara River and wintered in Fort Niagara. In 1780, Brant's volunteers resumed their war against American troops and colonial settlers throughout New York and into the Ohio Territory. Interestingly, when American troops had occupied the town of Kanajahari, Tayendanage attacked it and burnt part of the town down, including his own childhood home. By late 1781, the war had started to go bad for the British. Public support back in Great Britain was declining, and in October of that year, the British had surrendered at Yorktown. Tayendanage spent much of the final years of the war playing diplomat, trying to keep the Anglo-Indigenous alliance together. This was all for naught, as in 1783, the war ended, Great Britain lost, and the United States was born. In recognition of his service to the crown, Tayendanage was given a large tract of land as part of a larger Mohawk Loyalist reserve on the Grand River, today in what is now Brantford, Ontario. Tayendanage married three times throughout his life. His first wife, he married in 1765. Her name was Peggy, and she was the daughter of Virginia planters who had actually been taken captive by an indigenous tribe who then gave her to the Mohawk as a gift where she eventually met her future husband. The two of them owned a farm along the Mohawk River, and they had two children, a son named Isaac and a daughter named Christine. Now, in a rather complicated, confusing, and tragic twist of fate, his son Isaac died of wounds after attacking his father during a fight. Peggy died in 1771 from tuberculosis, and shortly thereafter, Tayendanage married a woman named Susanna, who was Peggy's half-sister. Now, Susanna passed away in 1778, also of tuberculosis, while her and her husband were wintering at Fort Niagara. His third wife was Catherine Crogan, the daughter of a prominent Mohawk woman and a well-to-do Irish colonist. They married in 1780 and together had seven children. One of their daughters, Elizabeth, eventually married William Johnson Kerr, the grandson of Sir William Johnson and Molly, Tayendanagi's sister. Now, the son from that union would eventually go on to become a Mohawk chief. Tayendanage's son, John, would go on to distinguish himself in the War of 1812 and eventually become superintendent of the Six Nations in 1826. After 1783, so the end of the American War of Independence, Tayendanage continued to play an important role as an intermediary between the British and various indigenous groups. He played a significant role in helping to create the Western Indian Confederacy. This was a loose confederacy of First Nation tribes in the Great Lakes region that was formed to help resist American expansion west 
Interestingly, a number of these tribes were the same ones who rose up during Pontiac's rebellion. In 1785, he once again traveled to England and met with King George III, advocating for British support for his confederacy, though little help came. Now, this resistance to American expansion would eventually lead to war, what was known as the Northwest Indian War, which broke out in 1790. While Tyendinage was certainly a respected warrior, his role during this war was more one of diplomat, and he, in fact, visited Philadelphia in 1792 and met with George Washington to discuss the concerns of the First Nations in the West. Now, he certainly was a strong ally of the British, but this did not mean he didn't recognize the faults of white imperialism. He tirelessly advocated for indigenous rights with both the British and Americans, and in particular was passionate about gaining recognition of land rights. He was well known for utilizing the geopolitical tension of the day in order to get concessions, playing off British fears of American expansion and playing off American fears of British hostility. His work for the British eventually led to him being gifted 3,500 acres of land at the head of Burlington Bay in Upper Canada, where he built himself a large mansion and farm. Now, interesting side note, it's reported that he had enough wealth by this time to purchase slaves. Maybe as many as 30 slaves were brought to his farm from the United States. He passed away at his home in 1807. Eventually, the town that grew up around this mansion and farm would become the city of Burlington in the province of Ontario. His final words, as recorded by one of his relatives, speaks to his constant efforts to advocate on behalf of First Nations. He said, and I quote, Have pity on the poor Indians. If you have any influence with the great, endeavor to use it for their good. I want to thank you all for listening today. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. And you can find us on all podcast listening devices. And please do not hesitate to write and leave a comment. We love to hear from you. I'm David Boris. Stay curious, friends. Friends.